friends, how are you? My name is Colm and this is the Sober Mess podcast and you're very welcome. Today I am absolutely chuffed to be joined by my good pal Jeff Simone. Jeff is a clinical pharmacist, an advanced nutritional supplements advisor and the founder of Reaction Recovery He's after tuning in all the way from across the pond in Philadelphia and he's on today for a chat. So Jeff, how are you? Good morning. You know, great to be here on the uh, Sober Mess podcast. The, so- you, the Sober Mess podcast. you found a qualified guest. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's where I got the name from because I went from a, a, a drunken mess to a sober mess. You know what I mean? Just because uh-huh. you, you put down a drink doesn't mean that it's all, uh, it's all smooth sailing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So how's life? Good, good. Um, yeah, I'll introduce myself uh, to your listeners. I, I um, yeah, I'm Jeff Simone. I, I would imagine you know some of you folks that are following recovery pages, sobriety accounts. You know, um, some people might have seen me on Instagram. Yeah, I, 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 probably that's that's where I'm the most active. You know, in terms of of platforms. Um, yeah, I try to make myself available you know some other places but i've you know i have a wife i have two little kids seven and five and 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 most of the time most of my attention is going in that direction so instagram tends to be the place where i'm active and and kind of sharing what's going on with me with the business you know with 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 clients um and i think you spent some time there too is that right yeah that's right man yeah like uh i think instagram is a great tool for like promoting like wellness and kind of putting out a message because i think if like when you can use it in the right manner it can be positive but i think when you can use it for the wrong reasons it can be real negative on your on your mental health you know i agree yeah because like i think when you're putting out like say positivity or inspirational stuff and it's not used as as a motive for like say distraction or trying to look for approval or things like that but if you can use it more as a as a tool to kind of promote positivity or in, inspiration or just to kind of say even promote your, your business maybe you know um but if you're if you use it for the wrong reasons it can definitely have a negative impact on your mental health yeah i would say that overall you know it gets it gets a bad rap right and and and, and i would also say that overall it is a net negative in my in my opinion right you know in terms of how most people are using it um but if it's used with intention you know so i got into this i got into social media maybe like three years ago i mean you know very relatively recently right i was kind of like resistant i was i was like one of the last ones to get on board with a lot of this stuff and you know i scoffed at it for a while and and um I mean, I've had a great experience with it, really. It is, I mean, like in a lot of ways, it has changed my life. It has just exposed me to things that I otherwise would not have ex- you know, been exposed to. Um, I am very intentional with how I curate my feeds. I mean, I, I'm every day, like I'm in there cleaning, cleaning stuff up, right? I'm, you know, because these, these things are tracking your behavior, obviously, like they know what you want to see. Mm-hmm. So everything that I do on there, everything that I engage with, every like that I press comment that I leave I do it with the intention of do I want the algorithm to think this about me right in terms of like what it's going to be sending me and 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 there's a lot of, inf- of great information that I get on there I get um you know I get like kept up to date with just in some areas or, or some topics that I otherwise would not 
have been exposed to if I'm not exposed to that in my in my day-to-day life and no I think that if you use it correctly this is an unbelievably beneficial and powerful tool but if you do it the, you know without intention and you just kind of haphazardly hop on there no I think it, that it can be it can be uh, very destructive in terms of mental health yeah and look looking at you looking at your page I get a I get a lot of inspiration out of it and yeah man I'm, I'm so fascinated by your story as well because you, you, you look you're a clinical pharmacist and who who went on then to have like a an addiction to opiates and then yeah. overcoming that addiction and you, you got into like nutrition and then you founded a uh, reaction recovery. Like tell us a bit of our story, man, and how that came about. Yeah. So, I mean, like I say, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a father and a husband in long-term recovery, you know? So like when somebody says like, who are you? Right. It's like, who explain who you are? You know, that's where I go to first. Um, yeah. I used to define myself entirely by my career. Um, and now I only partially define myself by my career. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I'm recovering from, from a 12 year opiate and amphetamine addiction, uh, among other things. Um, I've been, yeah, I've been fully abstinent from all the like, mood altering psychoactive drugs with the exception of caffeine, um, since, since, you know, 2016. Um, and I'm grateful for that. Um, yeah, in terms of, of my pieces of paper and, and, you know, credentialing, I mean, some people are interested in that. Um, by, yeah, by, by formal training, I'm a doctor of a clinical pharmacy with a focus in psychiatric pharmaceuticals and dietary supplementation. Um, I am state credentialed as a, as a peer recovery specialist. Um, I'm formally trained as a substance abuse counselor, uh, and I'm nationally certified as a professional recovery coach. Um, yeah, but like I told my first sponsor, you know, so I had a, you know, a couple of weeks of sobriety, my, and my sponsor is over like, at my house, my office. And I said, like, look at all my degrees, you know? And he said, well, you know, like rectal thermo, rectal thermometers have degrees and you know what they do with those. <laughs> I love that. That's how those guys used to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, but yeah, it's, you know, I, yeah, no, I was, I was just saying it's true, man. It's like, you can, you can't really like, you can, like I got when I got sober, man. I didn't need to smarten up. I needed to dumb down because my biggest problem was that I thought I had all the answers, you know. Because I thought I was a smart guy and I can fix this myself, and I'd be coming up with all these solutions. Or maybe if I try drinking a different brand, or maybe if I try taking a different drug, or maybe if I try a different diet, or move to a different home, or jump into a different relationship, or change my job, this will fix the the addiction, you know. And it was me coming up with all these terrible ideas that just leading back to the same result and it's essentially you're using the same thinking to get you out of the problem which has got you into the problem you know and it wasn't until I realised there I, I don't have all the answers and trying to throw in the towel and stop using my my, my what I thought I was an intelligent guy but clearly I wasn't like you know because I just because when it came to like when it came to substances I was just like I'd got, I'd, I kept touching that stove every single time until I, and I kept getting burnt every single time but everything else in my life I was good at my job you know I was, I was good at kind of academia but when it came to like addiction I just had no logic to explain why did I keep doing the same thing yeah I mean it's one of those things where it's like you you know somebody is getting better that when you see them following somebody else's direction even if they don't think that it's necessarily the right thing at that moment right it's like when you know somebody has a couple weeks sober and somebody says to them whatever you know go to this meeting and start making coffee for the group right yeah. 
and they're just complaining about money and you know my my wife just left me i don't know how i'm going to pay this bill and he said well you know just just go to the meeting you know start making coffee for the group maybe drive this guy home after the meeting you know you're fortunate enough to still have a car and it's like there's kind of two ways you can go from there right you could say okay what what are these guys talking about I'm talking about major problems. I, I have money problems. I have relationship problems. I have work problems. And this guy's telling me to go make coffee for free for this group of people. And, and and it's like, if you're able to just do that, right, to just follow directions, even if you think that it's stupid, uh, I think you have a chance. Yeah, that that, that is it, man. It's, uh, it's just the humble, like, the deflate the ego. Isn't it? And that, that's what I learned. Like, and I love what you said at the start about it doesn't matter about your title, doesn't matter about your degrees. You know, like I had to, I had to like just humble myself, you know, and and in order to get sober, like you know, and it was that to, to surrender. And no one likes to surrender. No one likes to admit defeat and say, "Here, I'm defeated by this thing." But it was only then that I did. That's when I actually started to listen to people and t- started to take suggestions and, you know, started to become willing and, and desperate to get sober because before that, I was still, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll fix this, I'll come up with a solution to this and I just kept ending up in the same place every single time. I can, I can relate to that. Um, yeah, so I work in the recovery space now. I'm, I'm in uh, uh, both in product development, okay, so I help, you know, design and implement uh, digital and automated products to expand access to care and, and improve health outcomes. Um, and then I run Reaction Recovery, you know, which I think you mentioned earlier, uh, which is an extended outpatient counseling and health coaching program for people uh, that are either in active addiction still um, or, or they're in early recovery who, who you know, want to feel better, faster and, and accomplish big picture goals. I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, um, there's a large coaching component of this also right so it's not just just counseling and you know kind of traditional like sud work um there are folks that i work with for three months there's folks that i've been with for two and a half three years at this point you know since the time that we started this um, my belief is that for people for most people okay like a safe medical detox uh, with the strong community fellowship right you know that can really get somebody um abstinent from an addiction but 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 for a percentage of people right like to actually feel better quickly and to thrive which is to say uh to identify with with a purpose for a living and then to have the motivation and energy to to accomplish things um in the beginning there that we need a lot of planning um we need a lot of encouragement and a lot of accountability for a little while so um, yeah so that's really what what reaction recovery is is trying to to accomplish um you know, my own my own personal journey in recovery in terms of, of physical and mental health, at least. So actually feeling better. Um, it has been incredibly long and slow and, and, and full of suffering at times, you know. So and I know that this is the experience of of so many people. Like There is this myth out there uh, that once an addicted person stops using drugs, that his life just magically becomes wonderful and, and um, I don't, I don't think that it, that it works like that. You know, I think that like for a lot of us, things can get bad after we stop just in terms of, of the internal suffering, right? Like mentally, emotionally, psychologically, just like after we stop using and we need a lot of support. Um, 
I'm not a recovery cheerleader. You know, if you follow me online, I, um, I understand that that there are some folks who, who who stop using drugs, you know, feel uncomfortable for a week or two, stop drinking, and then they start, you know, telling you how wonderful it is and they, how good they look and how good they feel and they're shouting it from the rooftops. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just not what I relate to. Um, and that's not typically the type of person that my message and my approach attracts. You know, I, um, you know, I tried to get sober dozens of times. I mean, you know, one time it was as long as five months. Uh, so the, I know what white knuckled sobriety feels like. Uh, and it's horrible. I mean, it's just it's just horrible. So uh, and, and what yeah, did I, you start doing differently, which made things successful for you? The the number one thing was the ability to follow directions. You know, I, I got I got paired up with a good group of people. You know, I kind of think about and I and I and I write these these you know twelve pillars of recovery, and I kind of see it all as like they're all a percentage of the pie, right? So all of them are five to to ten percent by themselves. Some of them might be a little bit more. So like pillar one is going to be community. Building, like building a network around yourself, building a fellowship, whether that's a, a traditional 12-step fellowship, where nowadays there's a lot of other options as well. So getting that in place is absolutely pivotal. I mean, if we're just trying to stumble around here, reading books, listening to podcasts, watching some An Andrew Huberman, taking a cold shower and thinking we're going to you know, change our entire life, it's not going to happen, right? Um, you, know, you know, those things can all... Those are our percentages of the pie that can take us towards, you know, stability. Uh, but everything, every every stake in there, I think, has to be addressed to one degree or another. Um, and I was able to start doing that stuff. I guess I was beaten down enough that I was able to actually start start doing that stuff even before I felt better. Mm. And like, so your your core like substance would have been like opiates. So when you first like would have been exposed to these, was it to treat like an injury and then you just felt you then became hooked on them? No, I mean, I wish I could say <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, somebody, I guess I was, I don't even know how old I was, a teenager at some point. And somebody's mom or grandmother had a, had, had a wisdom tooth surgery and they had a bottle of Vicodin. And we got our hands on it, and I took it, and and it changed my life. Changed my life, and you know that that bottle opened up doors that it took fifteen to twenty years to close. Wow. Um, and I fell in love, and, and and I hear a lot of people. There is a lot of overlap with the alcohol and the opiate folks, right? So it's even in these twelve step fellowships, like you will notice. So if you go to AA, for example, okay, there 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 are a lot of folks in AA. They might have had a drinking problem and an opiate problem, for example. Okay, there's like there's a lot of that. Um, whereas, you know, maybe if you go to uh, say you go to CA, for example, you, you know, Cocaine Anonymous, um, like a lot of the stimulant, you know, kind of crowd is in there. They probably also had a had had issues with drinking, but stimulants was was the primary. But then they're also going to be having you know a lot of gambling problems in there, a lot of spending problems, you know, a lot of sex, you know, pornography. So these these different addictions although dopamine tends to be the uh like the great leveler you know in terms of they all run through that dopamine pathway mm -hmm. the other neurotransmitters or neuromodulators that are getting primarily affected are going to be different okay 
So like, for example, alcohol and the opiates, they're, they're going through that endorphin pathway to some extent, at least early on. So alcohol, it kind of touches it early on and then it sort of moves into to a different direction, right? Kind of goes down the GABA path a little bit. And then whereas with, with opiates, endorphins is going to be primary. So that falling in love experience that I describe with, like, this is the first time that I took opiates, I, I fell in love. A lot of a lot of the alcohol folks will describe their early experiences drinking in a similar way, right? I, I, I drank and everything just felt right, right? Mm -hmm. it, it just kind of filled in holes that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, I can de de definitely identify with that. Just getting a sense of comfort, feeling feeling somewhat normal. And I think what, for me anyway, was before I took that first drink was, I felt this, just this default of discomfort outside of the circle, never fitting in, feeling like a, an imposter. Never felt just like a human. And then when I took a drink, I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to be normal. Now I know what the, what the problem was, you know? And drinking was never my problem. Like sobriety was my problem because I, it wasn't until I got a drink in me that I felt comfortable. I was like, oh, the relief. You know, when you get home after work and you sit down on the couch and you put your feet up and just to, oh, that was the feeling I got when I drank. But I, did, I didn't know how to moderate. You know, if I had one drink, I'd drink to oblivion. And, and and no matter how bad the consequences were, and I'd give it up for a few days or a few weeks, but just the uncomfortable feeling of being sober would get so overbearing that I'd just go back drinking again every time. And that, you know, it's like we have no way of knowing that that, um, that, that like aha moment, right, that, that, that moment of all's right with the world, that is an atypical response, right? You know, that is an abnormal response. Well, the most people aren't getting. And it's so hard because that's an internal, you can't measure that, right? So it's like if, you know, if I drink a bottle of whiskey, right? And then like, you drink a bottle of whiskey, well, like we're both going to be drunk. Okay. So if you're like, you know, if you walk into a bar or something, you know, the, both of us are going to look drunk. We're going to be maybe motor coordinations you know, is going to be screwed up. Depending upon, upon our tolerance, we're going to be talk in a certain way right but like we're both gonna look and sound drunk but you have no clue what's going on inside for me mm. and i have no clue what's going on inside for you and to us the way that we respond to a drug is the normal way that everybody responds to a drug right it's not until years and years and years later most of the time we don't get this until we're around other people that are like us and we hear them describing their experience and we're like oh shit that was my, I had that experience, right? And most people do not. So, so yeah. opiates is a better example. You know, example, it's a little bit easier because it's not quite as common. It's just not quite as, as acceptable to be, you know, sitting in a bar, snoring lines of oxy or something, right? Um, but everybody to some extent or another has taken opiates at some point in their life. You know, they've taken them for some reason. They've had a surgery, you know, something. And... Although folks like the physical pain relief, most do not like that experience, right? You know, that experience just being drowsy and sedated and out of control kind of, you know, with, with their like mental capacities and constipated and all the stuff that, that comes along with it. Most people look forward to not having to take that anymore. Uh, but not, but not somebody like me, you know, somebody like me, it's like, oh my God, this is, this is the world makes sense for the first time. So is that... Is that to say then that like 
I say alcoholics and non-alcoholics or addicts and non-addicts, that when they put that substance in their body, be it alcohol or opiate or cocaine, that they get this more enhanced feeling than they would from like a non-alcoholic or non-addict. That they're getting this eureka, wow, you know, like this this phenomenon is going on within them that say a non-alcoholic takes a drink and it's just like, oh yeah, I feel a bit woozy, but I'm not getting this firework show that you're describing beside you, you know? Yeah, it is, it's not, for most people, it's not changing their basic perception of reality, right? They're just, you know, becoming intoxicated on the drug, but they're, so when we're first taking a drink of alcohol, when we're first taking opiates, we are getting hit with an endorphin rush. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so with opiates, that feeling is the feeling that you're chasing with, um, with alcohol, that endorphin part of it kind of comes up and goes down quickly. Um, that's why a drug like naltrexone, you know, which is like an opiate blocker. Okay. So we think of it in terms of, you know, like Vivitrol, it's gotten some, 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 you know, some popularity. I actually think that like naltrexone is a, is an under leveraged drug. It's one of the few drugs that I I would say is is underused out there. You know, it's a it's a very good drug. It's a blocker and it, it's a good little self binding strategy just to prevent us from hurting ourselves for you know for a month if we get that injection. But for alcohol, the theory here is is not that naltrexone is going to stop you from getting drunk, but it's going to stop the endorphin rush, the initial endorphin rush that we get when we drink alcohol. Right. So, 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 so through these kind of classical conditioning pathways, we're thinking that if we don't have that endorphin rush in the beginning, then we were, then uh, eventually we're going to loosen that pairing of, uh, of euphoria with the drink. Right. And then, and then over time, once that pairing and that like, association of pleasure, of like, initial pleasure gets dimmed, then the likelihood that we're going to want to keep drinking goes down. That's, that's the theory of naltrexone anyway. But, um, but, but that like initial hit, I guess, I guess the, the, what I'm trying to say is that there had to have been some kind of deficiency or else it's not going to work that well, right? Some kind mm-hmm. of, of endorphin deficiency. It's like, you can think of it, it's easier to think of it, you know, with, with other vitamins, for example, like, you know, if somebody has scurvy, right. And, and, and they're dying and then you give them vitamin C, they're going to instantly get better. Right, so because they had a deficient a deficiency. Now, if you're if you're feeling like a little crappy today, and I and I give you a huge dose of vitamin C, it's not going to change your life too much, right? Because you know, presumably, you're not acutely deficient in that. And it's kind of like that with with like the endorphins, and specifically with alcohol and the opiates, is that if we are deficient in something, and and keep in mind, we don't know we're deficient, right? Because however we're feeling, it's just that's just how we're feeling, and and this is probably how everybody feels. But like once we fill that up, it's like holy shit, you know, this is now I know how I'm supposed to feel. Now the problem is that it overshoots the mark, right? So it's actually not how other people feel; it's how other people feel, and then some. <laughs> okay, yeah. so we go like a little bit higher than the mark, and then the okay, so so that is the is the beneficial part of the drug. But these are toxic substances. I mean, ethanol is toxic. Opiates um, at high enough doses are going to be toxic. And then there's this negative feedback loop. So now we need more and more to accomplish the same thing. That's tolerance. Now the drug itself starts to to create problems. Okay, that is that is you know toxicity. So now when I take the drug away, now I need that same amount just to feel normal. 
what I used to consider normal, right? Which is still like a little bit maybe below, say, where the rest of the world was, for example. Um, and that's that negative feedback loop. By the time that we're ready to stop, it's 10 to 15 years into the future, if not more. Sometimes with alcohol, you know, it might be 20, 30 years. Um, and the drug itself has caused so much harm that we have completely forgotten about those like initial experiences where it was it was helping. And now we're literally just drinking to not to not be sick. Well, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? And yeah, I, I can totally get that when you when I first stopped drinking, man, just the withdrawals and the DTs and and even when you come off it, it's like it's it's progressive even without you engaging in it. Because I remember saying off oh, for months, went back on it and it was worse than ever. Like, you know what I mean? It was like mm. I was drinking more often, I was drinking way faster, I was blacking out a lot quicker. Um, and I just wasn't getting that same hit. And like what you said when you talked, when you, 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 your friend's grandma, you found the opiates and you took it and you got this feeling of, well, you know, and I got that when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. And I feel like ever since I reached that high, that nirvana, I spent the whole, like, remainder of my drinking career trying to re, repeat that and I never quite could it was like I was just chasing that high and it was always the next drink that was going to get me there always the next it could be the next bet or the next hot or the next opiate or the next you know the next whatever the, the addiction is but the next one was going to be even better than this one and you know just always chasing then as you said you're caught in that cycle you fall off the wagon you relapse you wake up the next day i'm never ever doing that again you're beating yourself up you're full of shame and eventually it, you just get so uncomfortable that you're, you're using again you're drinking again you're you know and you're back on that that cycle again like you know and it's just it's trying to break out of that that cycle like you know and as you said when you uh join a group like for me it was 12 steps i, I went to aa and you know met an incredible bunch of people but what made me uh what made me i suppose stay with this community of people when it was just the um it, it was just how they spoke about their their minds and their mental health and you know just the whole narrative around having that race in mind and you know all this stuff that i experienced from a young age you know never fitting in feeling outside of the circle feeling inadequate you know not feeling a part of society always trying to wear masks to feel validated and i heard like other people describe all these symptoms and be like, well, I thought that was just me that got that. And people mm. talking about fear, you know what I mean? Like, my primary problem wasn't alcohol, it was fear. You know, alcohol was my medicine to treat my fear. It was a medicine that got me sicker, you know what I mean? And and it didn't matter if it was drink, if it was opiates, if it was food, if it was, you know, gambling, porn, whatever the thing was that people can escape into. You know, it's the why are we escaping? Why are we using it? Like, what's going on in our lives that we need to use this thing to distract ourselves? And, like, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm an escape artist. You know, I can find anything to escape out of my reality. And it was, like, until I could come back and address my reality and make my reality a nicer place to be, I no longer needed to escape anymore, you know? You know, and, and you mentioned, um, I can relate to everything that you were just saying. He talks about, you know, just, just even AA, right? It, uh, it, there's a line in there that says, the the great obsession of every abnormal drinker is the idea that someday, somehow, he will control and enjoy his drinking. You know, it says, the, the, the you know, persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And that's what I was thinking as you're just you know describing your story, right? Just 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 this 
this chasing maybe what what once worked right because it did work obviously for a while um and it's the persistence of that illusion that we can get back there right you, you know say like you started drinking when you're 18 and, and it was working well and, and now you're 33 and it's like we don't even think okay this has been 15 years of daily use of this toxic thing <laughs> right that like maybe some you know, maybe some brain patterns have actually gotten like rewired over that time that now need to get like reversed. We don't really think that way. We sort of think back to how it was in the beginning and, and no, I can, I can recapture that. Um, and I think that that's why those, those groups are, 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 are so important, right? Cause it's, we need dozens and dozens of other people saying that story, just like you said over and over that, Hey, look, I was obsessed just like you of being able to recapture the days when this stuff did not destroy me. Um, and it's so tough because it's like, okay, so like if something was going on when you were 18, you know, what something was, I mean, nobody, nobody becomes like addicted to drugs unless there was some, some major stuff going on. Right. It's like, these are pain relievers that we're taking them for for pain relievers so why was there what was the pain what was the pain right so even if we were able to transport ourselves let's just take the 18 and 33 example okay so the 33 year old even if you were able to transport yourself back into that the 18 year old's body with everything that you know now okay well you still would have had to you know to do some things to figure out how to live and be comfortable in your in your own skin to not go back down that same path but that's not what we're doing right you're 33 so so you have the the issues that were going on at 18 that that were unaddressed clearly right because you can't uh, you can't properly address attachment trauma or like whatever else happened to you when you're drinking every day you have that plus you have 15 years of compounded problems that were brought on either directly by the drug, right? You know, it causes all kinds of physical, like our physical health starts to like deteriorate. S social problems, occupational problems, we get fired, we, you know, we burn bridges, we have siblings that aren't talking to us anymore, alimony we have to pay, you know, spouses that we, just all kinds of, the the whirlwind of destruction, it, it feels so overwhelming that the likelihood, right, that we're just going to snap out of that by ourselves because we heard somebody talk. It's like you need to be immersed in those groups, especially in the beginning. And, and you know, you mentioned AA. I mean, AA you know, just happens to be the most, I mean, it's the most popular, clearly, in terms of, of, of you know, fellowships. It is free. It's everywhere. You know, you, where do you, you're in Ireland? Yeah, I'm in Ireland, Dublin, yeah. And I'm sure, okay, Dublin, yes. I'm sure you guys have meetings every every other corner. Yeah, we, we're a fan drink over here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the same way everywhere. The, that the I stereotype is true. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Man, I, I was up, in, when I was going up to Everest, man, I was, I think I was up about 4,000 meters and you're seeing snow, you're seeing yaks, you're seeing like these Sherpas wearing these massive furry jackets and then all you see is just an Irish pub in the middle of the snow. It's like, whoa, everywhere you go, you just see like an Irish pub. <laughs> Who opened that place? Yeah. <laughs> Where is that guy? Um, and you know, the funnier part is, it was, it was probably people in there. It's probably, it's probably got patrons. Yeah. Um, 
and then yeah so 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 you have all of that stuff right and this is like the wreckage of of the past that's the, i'm describing that i'm describing the wreckage of the past and it feels so incredibly overwhelming at first and it feels like there is no possible way i can crawl myself out from this one um and i think that unless we're just surrounded by people to share their experience of crawling out themselves and just to push us through each day, right? And there's sometimes where it's just like hour by hour. Um, I think that the likelihood that we're going to really be able to weather those emotional storms in the beginning is is is, is very low. So f- um, for you, like, what what was your rock bottom that led you to taking them steps to recovery? So for me, um, I mean, I it was a it was a, a gradual. You know, they say uh they say rock bottom is just when you stop digging right and you know, so each rock bottom has a trap door yeah. and it was like that you know, you know throughout my 20s it was just i mean there was a lot of trap doors there were plenty of experiences you know 2013 i was rested i was walked out of work in handcuffs i i, I was detoxing on a jail room floor and i spent all my money on lawyers and treatment centers and i mean that that could have been rock bottom right <laughs> that would have qualified as rock bottom um yeah i ended up picking up um yeah you know, relapse well i actually got yeah so i left the pharmacy and went to, i was court ordered in the treatment i i you know i got out i got back into a pharmacy like real quick right like shockingly quick for you know because you gotta keep in mind that i that now you know that i'm kind of flagged by the board and stuff and i have all these i have to now go in front of my employer and tell them like what had just happened <laughs> and then i have to get a job Right. And I, and I got it somehow. I mean, I guess I, I, I still don't know exactly how I did that, but I, but I got a pretty good job. It was in Beverly Hills. Uh, it is to this day is actually the, one of the best jobs I've had. I, I had, I was working with some awesome people and, and we had a lot of fun and I was, I was, I was living, I was, you know, somewhat living like the recovery life. Right. Cause I was you know, just kind of coming off of the heels of that stuff. Um, but then I got back into a pharmacy and I, and I relapsed like almost immediately. Um, and then I lost my license, right? Cause I was faking drug tests for a while. They just drug test you constantly. And I was doing that for a while. And then one day something happened where, you know, I was kind of delayed at this, at this lab and, and they, you have to give them urine and like the urine has to be a certain temperature. Uh, and I used to warm it up, <laughs> right. To bring yeah. it into there. And they had me sitting there for too long, and, and Jesus. The, the so, so you had cold. open access to all these opiates when you're working in the labs in the pharmaceutical labs. Yeah, that's crazy. That's like a recovering bear that's strung out in honey, working in a honey factory. Like you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. It turns out that 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 wasn't the right place. It's a typical. It's a typical addict story, though, isn't it? It's like. <laughs> I mean, so look, what it was for me, and like the reason that I do like what I do now, is because I I I really thought that the reason that I couldn't separate myself from this stuff was because the drugs were just too addictive. You know, drugs mm-hmm. are too addictive. That's why you know, I can't I can't detox on my own. I don't have time to go to a rehab or anything. And my work is pretty is pretty high stress. They can't get by without me, right? Yeah, you're you're like the Walter White that liked to get high in his own supply. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was 
I was breaking the first rule of uh, <laughs> Scarface. Of yeah. <laughs> uh, but I thought that that was the reason, right? So I thought that if I was able to separate from this stuff for a few months, that I was going to be fine. Uh, and I did separate this stuff from separate from the stuff for a few months. And I thought, you know, the, it wasn't really the the access that was the problem. It was just that I had become dependent, right? I become chemically dependent. Um, so now that I'm not, and now that I'm sober, I can go back in there and I can be around the stuff. And, and I, I mean, it's what I did well. I was, I was, I was good at my job. Um, and it turned out that that was wrong or it turned out that it was a lot more, there's a lot more to the picture than, than met the eye. And, and I mean, when I tell you that I relapsed immediately, I mean, I relapsed immediately. My first day in there, I, it, it was back to Vicodin, right? So I always thought of Vicodin as like a step down, right? It, it, so before it was Vicodin for a couple of years and then it was Oxys for like 10 years. And then, and then after I lost access and I started getting into like some other stuff because it was cheaper. Mm. Um, but it's like that bottle, you know, back then Vicodin, all the hydrocodone products, so Norco and all that stuff was all schedule three. It was a schedule three controlled substance. So it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't um, up to the same like restrictions as 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 some as the Schedule Two narcotics like oxycodone, for example. So some of the stuff was just kept on like the regular shelf. All right. So like before I even had access to everything, I, I, I um, this stuff was just kind of sitting there, and and I had no intention of of taking it that first day, and and it was there, and I took it, and um, yeah, then I ended up failing a drug test. I lost my license. Um, I got into, into some other stuff for a while. It was the worst. That was the worst year of my life, you know, 2014, you know, into, into 2015. Um, we ended up moving back. I got back into a pharmacy in, in Pennsylvania. Okay. So now like I'm on, I'm on the East coast. It's, it's 2015. My wife was pregnant. Um, we had my son. I was back in the pharmacy. I was back taking drugs, like huge amounts drifting in and out of psychosis, right? Because now I'm taking huge amounts of stimulants too. And just uh, the amphetamines and Adderall and all kinds of other stuff. And that stuff also used to be a performance enhancer for me for years. Yeah. I mean, I took Adderall to the point like it was it was working well, you know, for a couple of years, just a couple of years. And then, uh, and then like, that drug turned on me. I mean, to the point where I was taking so much that I was really becoming psychotic like I used to, like used to happen with meth. I used to take meth and stay up for a couple of days and I would, you know, it was just, you know, full blown psychotic episodes. And, and, and that was starting to happen with, with Adderall. Um, and my physical health was failing. You know, I, I gained about 30 to 40 pounds within like a month or two. Um, and not because I was overeating, right. I, I was just holding on the fluid. Like I just could not like retain, I, I couldn't excrete fluid. Um, if I pressed down on my wrist or my ankle, it would take a couple seconds to, you know, go back up, you know, that, that kind of pitting edema. Um, my skin was turning like a weird grayish color. It was taking like a few, it would take like a minute to start peeing and then like a minute to stop. Right. Just everything was like, everything was breaking down is what was happening. And I, and there was this, this baby in the house. And, and, and I, I remember like at this point, like it, you know, at this point, I didn't have any value for like you know, like my own life. It was I was kind of like a little, you know, past that point. But I certainly valued his, and 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 it was there was this this period of time right then actually that the only human being on the planet that I cared about was this guy, 
I mean, certainly not myself. That was it. It was just him. And I mean, he's the reason that I got sober. You know, people say, oh, you know, you got to get sober for yourself. That is not true at all. Right. It's like you have to stay sober for yourself. That's true. And it better become about yourself pretty damn quickly. But in terms of what gets you moving, now that can be anything. Mm-hmm. That could be anything. It could be a, you know, it could be you want to keep a job. It could be you want to keep a marriage together. You know, it could be you just had a baby and 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 you're literally dying. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so I I had, I had left the pharmacy. I didn't. I didn't lose my license out there. I, 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 I just left. And I, I knew something terrible was coming. I could feel it this time. And I took, you know, a lot of pills and I just slowly ran out of them one by one. And, and that's why and my sobriety date is my sobriety date. Not for any noble reason. That's, that was the last day that I could find any pills in my apartment at that time. And I just moved back. Right. So I didn't have any kind of like dealer access at that point. So like for me to, it would have been hard for me to actually go and, and find them. Um, I mean, hard to the point of like, I would have had to, to go out of my way, I guess is my point. And, and, and so I started detoxing and I was, yeah, I was 12 steps into a, into a group in, in uh, Philadelphia. And, and I paired up with some of those guys and, and I slowly started getting better. That's powerful. Yeah, man, I can, I can identify a lot um, with a lot of your story. And yeah, particularly like, the reason as to why do we get sober like what is some, sometimes we think so low of ourselves that's hard to say what, what's the point of doing this for me and you might have a loved one and you're thinking maybe I'll do it for them um, and it's just about finding what motivates you you know what I mean because that's the thing when we think so low of ourselves that we don't think we're worthy of recovery we don't think we're worthy of sobriety or having a life where we don't need a, a substance or a behaviour to depend on you know and Mm. I suppose they, when I came into recovery, they, they used to say, "Look, we'll, we'll love you until you learn to love yourself," and that's the problem. Mm. We we're imbe- we can't we, we can't love ourselves. You know, we think so low of ourselves. We think we're these we're these bodies that don't deserve anything good in life. You know, and then slowly we're just starting to dismantle that belief. That hold on a minute, I am worthy. I am enough. You know, but I. I it's just about coming around to that conclusion about yourself, you know, and that, that took me years to get there where, where I was actually comfortable in my own skin, you know, and uh, yeah, like I, um, I was 21 when I got sober and I just think addiction wow. brought me to my knees a lot quicker uh, than a lot of people, mm. like from, from the word go when I drank, I just went in, it was just so explosive and oblivion. It was like, if I was in a room full of people drinking, I'd be the guy that, yeah, that fella has an issue. You know, he, like, I, I, my, the change in me was so drastic when I took a drink that I was like, I was either in the corner, uh, like, falling asleep or I was wetting myself or I was getting into a fight or I was shouting or I was being obnoxious. When I took a drink, I, my personality completely changed, you know? Mm. And uh, how I started to address that, then I'd start using Coke and, oh, yeah, I know how I'll address my uh, drug issue, I'll use another drug to, so I can drink for longer, you know what I mean? And then that was like getting the, uh, that was like getting the express train to rock bottom, man. I think when you start taking heavier drugs, it's just the mental health just goes a lot quicker, like, you know, and that's what it was. My mind just started to annihilate. And yeah, I was, I was very lucky, man, that I was introduced to a 12 program through my dad, who was also, who was also sober and uh, getting, 
you know, finding that community. And I think that that was a massive part of getting sober because I thought I never met anyone apart from me dad. Like I never met anyone that was normal and didn't drink. You know what I mean? That was like, mm. I didn't know anyone that didn't drink. <laughs> like that was something, you know what I mean? And when I got sober then and I met all these kind of cool, healthy people that were like running marathons or traveling and bikepacking and going camping and going hiking. And I was like, hold on, I'm into all that stuff, but drink just always got in the way. I never done any of these things. I sat in bar stools telling the lads are, someday I'm going to go traveling, someday I'm going to do a marathon, someday I'm going to do this or do that. But I'd never do anything. I'd, the only thing I'd run after was the next drink, like, you know, and then getting sober. And, and I, I couldn't I couldn't understand why people were so happy. I remember going to my first AA meeting and people were laughing and joking and smiling. And I was convinced they must be still taking something on the side, like, you know, and just to realise that you can be happy and sober. I thought being sober was like a, bit, a kid having to give up like sugar for Lent or give up, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're missing out on life because you can't drink. And then only to realise, no, you're actually enhancing your life by not drinking, like, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, today I'm really grateful for that, for my journey with alcohol, you know what I mean? Because if we hadn't that... Being down them rock bottoms, I wouldn't have the appreciation for the simple things today. You know, some of the most grateful people I know are in recovery and they're just happy for to get up for a sunrise or go for a run in the morning or be able to spend time with the people they love. And they're not like they're not superficial because they know what it's like not just to have this rite of, rite of passage of having good mental health. Or being able to go from A to B without needing a drink or a substance or behaviour to escape, you know. They're just so content with the simple everyday things in life because they know what it's like not to have that stuff, like not to have the mental health to appreciate those simple things. So for me every day, man, it's just about counting my blessings for all the good stuff that's, uh, that's in my life today, you know what I mean? And... Like, yeah, like that, like I said at the start, sober mess, like, is, but the reason it's called that is because I still, I can still f- find challenge in, in life with or without a substance, but I can deal with the challenges of life without needing to run away, like, you know? Mm. You know, and, and you're talking about just how good things can get, like, in sobriety, too, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it really is incredible, right? You know, if you're able to weather that like, initial storm like if you're able to make it through i mean i call it the 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 desert time you know that's the time like when you're first freed from bondage but like, before you've reached the promised land right so it's like you're you're no longer physically addicted to that thing but you don't quite feel the way maybe that you feel like you should be feeling and you're still and you're still plagued by these waves of of, of depression and and kind of grayness and the blahs and and it does depend upon what you were taking and how much and for how long. And there's the and also you know of course like your actual situation, right? Like like what kind of what kind of mess have you gotten yourself into? Uh, and if you're able to just walk through that time, that like desert time, and that's what I do with folks. You know, it's I'm there with you, you know, through this through this desert time. You know, let's just push through some of this stuff because things can get things can get incredible, you know. But we have to learn how to tolerate the distress. That is the number one thing. Like if there's if there's one, just one diagnostic indicator, right? That is that cuts through all of us. It is that we inherently, for you know, not not through with like our own fault, 
we don't tolerate distress very well. We don't tolerate uncomfortable emotions sober, you know, that we want to treat it with something. And you kind of mentioned earlier too, you, you know, you like alluded to just other, other things that we do to, to, you know, to fill this. One of the things, so, so, so that when I'm paired up with somebody, okay, that we are on, we use an app. It's called, it's called Habit Share. You know, that's mm-hmm. the app that I use. Uh, and we're setting goals and, and we're connected to each other. So I'm seeing what they're doing. You know, they're seeing what I'm doing and, and like they're leaving comments. And, and I am with you every step of the way, right? In terms of like what exactly you're doing. Some of them are trackers. Some of them are very specific goals. And that goal is whatever your goal is. Now, your goal might be to get a job in two weeks. You know, your goal might be to lose 10 pounds. Your goal might be to start making meetings, you know, to start getting back to the gym, to start drinking a smoothie in the morning. And you know, we talk about supplements, different things. And the, one of the trackers that I'll have people do is something called a, a dopaminergic tracker. Dopaminergic tracker. And, and the idea here is that is that, that that obsessive, you know, addictive energy that we remove from this one substance. Like say it's alcohol, for example, okay, that you're addicted to alcohol for 10 years and then you stop drinking. It's like, okay, you just ended the addiction to alcohol, right? But you didn't end addiction. <laughs> you know, like addiction is a little bit stronger than that. It's not, it's like, it was, it was hanging on the alcohol thing for a period of time. You took the alcohol away, which is nice, but the addiction is still there because okay? you didn't do anything yet, right? You didn't treat anything. You just took alcohol away. So now the question is, where is that going to land? Because it's going to land somewhere, Right. And then like we're just tracking this and not tracking it because as like an aha or like I gotcha kind of thing. Like nothing, this stuff is not good or bad or it's 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 just what it is. And we're tracking it so at least we can become aware of where that addictive energy is gone. So now that we can be now that that we're aware of it, the likelihood that we will let that thing bring us down slowly without our our notice is very, very low. And you know, the, exactly the things you're talking about, right? You know, pornography and gambling. And I mean, fitness to some extent, right? It's like there there are some that could be disguised as wellness that can get to the point of the whole thing with addiction is that like, it has to be negative consequences um, and then persistent use anyway. So we have to persist despite the negative consequences. So like if we're going to, to the gym every day and, and we feel crappy if we don't go, but we go. And we're not experiencing any negative consequences. That's not an addiction, right? That's just maybe it's an obsession. Maybe it's it's certainly a passion, right? But it's like you have to persist despite the negative consequences. And then when you want to stop the use, stop using, you find that you can't. That's what the addiction is. So so we're tracking that stuff. We're saying like what what is going on that fits that definition? And 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 some people it's staying up all night long, like on their phones, right? They're they're not sleeping very much. One thing I do with everybody is we're is we're tracking sleep and we're following sleep, right? What is what is optimal for you? It's usually between eight to eight and a half hours. It's hard for you know, for a lot of people to get that. Um, so say somebody's getting six and a half hours of sleep regularly. Okay, then we start to like you know zone in on 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 what is actually happening. Okay, so I'm sleeping from you're sleeping from one to seven. Okay, you know you know one a.m. to seven a.m. Okay. Can you wake up any later? Well, no, you know, work starts at eight, so I'm getting up. Okay, fine. Can you go to sleep any earlier? Well, yeah. 
Okay, so what are you doing between 11 p.m. to 1 a.m.? I'm just sitting in my room, scrolling Facebook, you know, they're watching YouTube videos, playing FIFA on, on the PlayStation. Or It's like, okay, so let's go after that. Let's slowly go after that, right? We're not saying you can't play video games, but we're saying we don't want to play video games at 1 o'clock in the morning <laughs> because now this is hurting our quality of life because we're only getting six hours where we could have gotten closer to eight hours. And it is incredibly humbling how difficult it is to change that mm. right even for somebody who's overcome like a serious addiction i mean somebody i'm working with somebody right now they they you know, this person had a serious heroin addiction that he's like, recovering from and he's doing great um and he cannot <laughs> stop playing video games now he's he's like months and months removed from this i would never you know say this kind of thing right in the beginning like in the in the very beginning it is man the whatever the hell you have to do you know that is legal to get yourself away from this stuff but over time you want to start getting control over those things slowly and 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 it's hard i mean th you know these are these are our our brain patterns and grooves that that do work well to numb some of these feelings and emotions and and, and just like you said earlier like when we do take that primary drug away whether it's alcohol or something else um the discomfort is there and yeah, programs like Alcoholics Anonymous are going to help that. There's a whole lot of other things. I think everything is a percentage of the pie. All right. So I think nutrition and fitness and supplementation, I think is huge for a lot of people. Certainly fellowship, finding purpose. Okay. What is your purpose? If you do not have a purpose, if you are just going to your crappy job that you hate and you're trying to white knuckle yourself and not drink while you're doing that and you're hating everybody, man, you're going to be in for some tough days ahead. And it's like all of these things matter. But I don't think any of them matters. So with the exception of, of, of community, you have to get that part right. But everything else is just a percentage, right? So it might be 8% of the 100% pie slice. And the more of those that we can address slowly and kind of you know put into place. So whether that is our focused attention, our morning routines, our nightly routines, um, who we're spending our time with. You know, that stuff matters. All of it. We're just, we're looking at it, we're addressing it. And then slowly, you know, people start to get better. And, you know, it's an incredible thing to watch. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful, man. It's, um, yeah, I, I love, I love all that. And yeah, man, it's so important. Like everything you mentioned there, like, I, I always think it's, it's a try bring back to the simple things. You know, someone said to me early on, halt, what does halt stand for? It's hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And to cater for all them things. Or another one I heard was POIES. So P-I-E-S. Which was your physical health, your intellectual health, your emotional health and your spiritual health. And try and do mm. something every day to cater for them things. So your physical health could be like, yeah, did you eat enough? Did you, did you eat good food, whole food? Did you drink enough water? You know, did you sleep well? Your intellectual health could be, I'll read a book instead of going playing the PlayStation at night. Or, you know, I listen to it like... And it's soulful podcast. My emotional health is I'll journal my feelings. I'll sit with what's going on in my life. Am I resting enough? Am I sitting still enough? Am I giving myself an opportunity to be bored today? Because it's only when I'm sitting still that I actually sit, like connect to my body and, and, and feel what's going on with me. Um, mm. And then spiritual health, am I meditating? You know what I mean? I'm, again, am I sitting still? Am I being present in the moment? And am I... Like in 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 light in my I suppose um, trying to engage more in that that spiritual connection and um, 
you know, and just little things like that, man, is a, is a, is a massive. If I do that stuff every day, it just makes life a lot easier, like, you know what I mean? And I remember hearing this great analogy before. It's like the the, the tree pigs and the wolf, you know, and the tree pigs are make, make tree houses that protect them from this wolf. And, you know, one pig makes this house out of straw, you know, barely staying up. The sort of the pig in the middle makes the the house out of sticks, and then the last pig makes this house out of stones and or out of bricks. And essentially, it's like the the house that's made of straw is is your is analogy for your recovery is how much are you investing in your recovery, how much are you investing in your well being, how much are you investing in your health and your mental health. You know, every day, you know, are, are you are you trying to meditate in the morning? Are you journaling? Are you, you know, trying to spend time off the news or off your phone? You know, uh, mm. are you being accountable for the things going on in your life? You know, are you doing these things? And, you know, if you're not, then that house is made of straw, you know, and that when that wolf comes blowing and if it's the bills or it's the relationship problems or it's the stress and work or it's the traffic jams or you know, whatever the thing is that's causing you pressure. Like if your recovery is made of stick or made of straw, that's just going to blow away the first sign of trouble. But if you're investing a lot in your recovery, your recovery is going to be made of bricks. So when that wolf comes comes blowing, you know, it's it's going to be pretty sturdy, you know. And, and that's the thing. It's like if I, if I can invest heavily in my recovery, I tend to be more resilient about the things that happen in life that I don't, I'm not running away to into a, a substance or behaviour the first sign of trouble and trying to sit down with uncomfortable situations or uncomfortable feelings and, you know, and then do the, the next right thing, which is can I ring a friend? Can I go to a, can I talk to a coach or talk to, go to a 12 step meeting or, you know, whatever the thing is that you're using to help sustain your sobriety. Like, you know, I love that, man. And, and, and I completely agree, you know, and nothing is more important than that foundation. You know, I, I use similar analogies, right? You, you know, you have to, you cannot skip on the foundation, right? Cause, cause when the hounds of fate come, come barking at your door, Right. And and it might not be right away. You know, it might be two years later, three years, four years, five years, you know, something happens, you know, family member gets sick, you get sick, you get laid off, you know, for no reason of your own. You don't have the money. Something happens. You, you need that house made out of brick at that point. Right. If you skimped on it just because you wanted to, you know, you wanted to just feel better so fast right away. And it's like, if you didn't do all that stuff, if you didn't really sit with that stuff and, and, and kind of grind through some of those early months, it's going to be hard. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be challenging when, 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 when times get tough. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that is, that's what I do. Yeah. That's what I do every day. And yeah, I try to, I try to help people build, build that foundation and, and just constantly push them in the direction of that. And it's going to look different for everybody, right? It's like different, folks are you know are going to be more inclined towards different things and and i i feel that that we have developed like an, an intuition over the years too of, of of kind of knowing you know what okay this and we you know we've worked with hundreds of people so it's like this this seems to work in this situation this usually becomes problematic in this situation even with books you know you mentioned books it's like i mean they're dozens and dozens if not hundreds of books that i feel have changed my recovery and 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 i do feel that different people at different times the right 
suggestion can can act, absolutely change their tra- you know trajectory too. But not everybody's ready for the same book at the same time, right? You can't just say, "Oh, this book is incredible. Everybody read it." It's like, no, that's not that's not how it works. If you think that, it's only because you haven't recommended books to people and gotten their feedback, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, no, everybody's at a different place. So, so it's what does this person need right now? And, yeah. and I think that that is what is what makes our service. Of, know unique at least at least if i yeah so true uh, this exactly thing thing with books like, i remember reading the the alchemist and it just blew my mind and right. i gave it to my sister and she and i was like what did you think of the book and she's like yeah it was good and he said, did you right. get this and I, I didn't really get and she didn't get like it didn't like i, I was like you know when you introduce someone to like a music uh, like a band and they're like ah right. oh, they're all right they're not great what do you mean they're, they're the greatest yeah. band ever you know and it's just like but like that some people are just at different um places on that journey and they're I suppose how they'll view something or take something in is going to be different depending on where they're at are they at like you know are they still in the grind are they going through a spiritual phase are they going through a, a self-actualization phase are they seeking something are they running from something you know everyone's on a different kind of place in their life like you know but that, that's the beauty is that someone that's walked the path you, you'll always kind of find people that are on the same I suppose, journey as you're in the same area. And then I think as you grow, you'll kind of gravitate towards other people who are at a similar place as well. And like that, gravitate towards books or podcasts or things that are going to help you on, on your journey. Like, You know, I, I, I've actually had that experience with my wife. I don't recommend books to my wife anymore, you know, for that exact reason, right? You know, the, the, I finished a book and you know i'll feel like it changed my life i'll be like, oh my god this is this is just the most and then i'll, I'll you know I'll recommend it and she'll read it and be like oh and i'll notice like a week later it's just kind of sitting there you know, oh you know i kind of got bored after the first chapter i'm like bored right so then like, i used to get mad so then i just stopped recommending books to her right? <laughs> and, and that and that has has taught me that okay this has nothing to do with her right this is just at that moment and they say when when the when the pupil's ready, the teacher appears, right? I so love like, that. Yeah, that's what I was, I was trying to think of that quote and I couldn't remember. I love that. What, like when I found this thing, it was because that's what I needed at that moment. This yeah. is not what she needs right now. So this has nothing you know, to do with her. Yeah, um, I love that, man. Jeff, it's been a powerful conversation. And I know you're a busy man and it's uh, it's half, I think it's half eight over in Philadelphia right now. Um, 8.30, yeah. 8.30. Right so early. I'm just going to finish off and just ask you a couple of uh, quick fire questions if you have time. Is that okay? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, so what's your definition of happiness today? Happiness today for me is to be content with my day-to-day life. I love that. What's one, if you had to recommend one book, what would it be? We just had a chat about this. If we're talking about recovery and if somebody knows nothing about addiction, nothing about recovery, you know, say you have a family member struggling or maybe even you are and you don't know where to, I, I would start with In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Yeah, brilliant book. Um, what's the greatest advice you've ever gotten? Uh, greatest advice I've ever gotten was I can be okay even if I don't feel okay at that moment. What's the worst advice you've ever gotten? That's a tough one. I mean, it's probably something that I've said to myself. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I mean, maybe it's something that I've, that I've said to myself after, after, you know, a couple months sober, you know, the, the first couple of times it's, 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 um, if you don't, if you're not feeling well, it's because you're doing something wrong. 
right? And and uh, and I've I've come to believe that that's not true at all. In fact, I think the opposite of that. And I think I think that the only way that we get well is by stumbling through the unwell times. Yeah. And and if we're defining the success of our recovery based on how we're feeling, like on any given day or even any given week, the only conclusion that you can possibly come to is I'm doing something wrong. Right. And, and man, what, just what terrible advice that is. It's no, I was doing fine that whole year. Right. Even when I was hit by waves of bad depression and worry and, and pessimism. And I mean, that was, that was in a lot of ways, that was the most successful year of my life that first year. And I mean, if I wrote it down on paper, I didn't really accomplish anything. (laughs) Didn't make any money. Didn't do any of of the things that maybe the world might, might, claim as successful but uh, being able to tolerate distress i mean oh my god like what i learned um so yeah you know don't let anybody tell you that 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 if you're if you're struggling that you're doing something wrong i love that yeah because pain is an activator you know pain is like a mover that it's only when things get painful enough that you take action and i actually think it was gabber mate that said we change when the pain of when the the pain of staying the same gets worse than change that's when we change mm. yeah that's powerful Jeff it's been phenomenal speaking to you I've gotten personally I've gotten so much out of this and uh, yeah th- thank you so much for coming on and having the chats and yeah if anyone wants to find you or get in touch with you they can check out uh, Reaction Recovery and uh, also check you out on uh, Instagram yeah, or my website, we just revamped it, reactionrecovery.com. You know, that's going to become the source of truth for uh, all of our, just all my writing and, and, and videos and other content. Sweet, man, sweet. Right, enjoy Phillies, up the Eagles. And, yeah, uh, oh, this year, man, we're going to be good again. Oh, we're yes. Be better. Bringing home the Super Bowl. I love it, I right. love it. Right, Jeff, all thank right. you, man. Have an unreal day. Thanks, for Thanks brother. Take care.